Hello, and welcome to the Flix Forum podcast, where each episode we go back and we check out a Netflix original film in the order of release. This episode, we have Netflix 134th film. It is the 2019 neo-noir action thriller Polar. It's directed by Jonas Ackerland, and it stars Mads Mikkelsen, Vanessa Hudgens, Catherine Winnick, and Matt Lucas. I am Jesse, and I am your host here today, hoping that you are ready to hear about an R-rated Netflix original film um, titled Polar. So if um, you did want to check this film out, as usual, I am giving you a little bit of a spoiler warning to give us a pause, because I'm going to go into this one. It does have... I guess a little bit of a, a plot twist towards the end, which I don't want to ruin for you if you haven't seen this film. So if you did want to um, check this one out, if it's on your watch list, if you've got it sitting there on Letterboxd waiting to to watch at some stage, maybe um, watch it first before listening to me. And then um, maybe afterwards you can jump on board and, and give me some feedback on my thoughts and, and see if we match up on what we're thinking. But we do start off with our fast flicks where I'll do a quick summary of what the film is about. And this one, it's about an assassin who's who's pretty much ready for retirement, but he is worth more dead to his employer than he is worth alive. And so this begins a cat and mouse chase. And <laughs> this is uh, nothing original. This this plot line, this storyline is, is nothing that we haven't seen before. But um, I guess... The question is, is it done differently to how we've seen it in other films? And I've a little bit of background information on, on how this film came together. And it, it is actually um, an adaptation of a um, web series slash um, comic slash graphic sort of novel by Dark Horse called Polar Came From The Cold. Um, and it was announced um, in October 2014, so five years prior to coming out. And it was developed by Dark Horse Entertainment and Constantin Film. And um, yeah, the, the director Jonas Ackland has teased that he has possible sequel ideas for another film. And that's obviously because this is a series of stories. The, the end of this film, I haven't seen more of an obvious setup for a sequel in a film in quite a while. So if, um, if they did decide to get back together, and I know that uh, Mads Mikkelsen, who plays the, the main character in this one of Duncan, he said he's keen to get back on board, the director's keen, so um, that may happen at some stage, but as of yet, um, we're recording this in 2021, it hasn't happened yet. Um, this one does have a few different titles um, across the world, so in Hungary, it's called Extremes, um, in China, it's called Extreme Agent, uh, in Japan, it's called The Targeted Assassin. And in Vietnam, it's called The Killer Reappears. So once you watch this film, those titles all actually fit in quite well because they all um, are a good descriptor of what this film is actually about and probably gives a bit more context than the simple title of Polar. Interesting fact, I guess, was that a full high-quality copy of this movie was actually leaked online nearly a week ahead of the official release on Netflix. So Netflix weren't too happy about this. And... Um, and the other thing, I guess, that Netflix weren't necessarily happy about is that within the, the weeks of um, of Polar coming out, there was another um, Mads Mikkelsen movie called Arctic, which, which came out in the cinemas. And these two movies are completely unrelated, but obviously share the same uh, main actor as well as titles like Polar and Arctic, which are very similar. So could lead to a little bit of a consumer confusion um, when this film came out. But, um, you know, Netflix went ahead and, and they were pretty impressed that they were able to get Deadmau on board. Um, I'm not a massive um, electronic sort of... Um, 
I guess, I think Deadman's electronic. I'm probably wrong here, but I'm not a big, massive fan of Deadman. I know some of his work, but he did the music for this one and, and also released a soundtrack of, of the work he did for this film on the day that the film came out which was the 25th of January 2019. Um, Netflix released it worldwide. Obviously, Netflix hasn't hit the, the market in China yet, but this did receive um, a release in China um, during the pandemic of 2020 um, in September. So um, people in China have managed to see this film. Uh, it was filmed across Canada in February and March of 2018 and was actually nominated for... Um, and awarded the Leo Awards for Best Supporting Performance by a Female in a Motion Picture. And this was for Faye Wren, who plays this character called Hild, and um, she is one of the the assassins that we see in this film. There are quite a few assassins in this, and I won't talk too much about um, them because there are quite a lot of them. Uh, there is a cameo in this one too, a, a Netflix or a Flix Forum um, original um, regular, or in the last few episodes anyway, Richard Dreyfus, who if you listen to the episode on The Last Laugh with uh, Chevy Chase a few few weeks ago, uh, he does make a small cameo in this film too. Consensus time. Um, Rotten Tomatoes. Always start with Rotten Tomatoes because we know that they have this formula that they work out based on, on critic reviews. This sits on 19% on 47 reviews. So this is very rotten based on the, um, the, the critics for this one. The audience, though, they had it at 70%, and that's on over 2,500 reviews, so a lot more positive. And, and the same goes for IMDb, where it sits on a 6.3 on a very solid 77,000, nearly 800 um, people have, have jumped onto IMDb to rate this one. That's a lot of people. And the same with Letterboxd, nearly 31,000 people have given this a 2.5 out of 5, so a little bit lower on the that service that we often say is more of a, um, a film lover's um, social media Time for my early thoughts on this one, and <laughs> to start off with, this this felt like a dead set knockoff of John Wick, but obviously, um, you know, there is a, a story behind where this story comes from, and this is literally violence, gore, blood, and assassins, but I think the best way to go about this is, is take it for what it is, and you might actually get on board and enjoy the ride for this one. Characters, so... Um, I'm not going to talk about a lot of characters, but I'm going to talk about the main main character, Duncan, um, who's also known as the Black Kaiser, and he is the best assassin. He's the best at what he does, um, but unfortunately, he's worth more dead um, once he hits his retirement age of, I think it was 50, and they do a good job of showing that he can't build any meaningful relationships at all, and and you see this through women that he associates with. You know, he pays a woman for sex, um, tries to give her money, and and this highlights that he he's doing this to look out for her child. Um, she does give him a big slap um, across the face because he does put them in danger. But you can see that he does doesn't necessarily um, do his job of killing um, and not care about what else this may impact. And and they do this this setup of of him being mindful of children around situations of what's happening. And then there's his character, Camille, who I'll talk about a bit later, but they, they have this big build-up of him caring for this character. Um, you know, he, he cuts or chops up wood for her, um, firewood, and, and looks out for her, buys her gifts, all this sort of stuff. Um, they, they did a nice setup with this, but, you know, in between they do this stupid scene where... He has sex with this random, um, and they show him being so sad once this once Camille's been kidnapped, and I just didn't like that. Um, I did like the the final reveals towards the end of the film. I don't want to give too much away in this one, but I did like the final reveals of his character to, to sort of tell us that there's more to him than meets the eye, um, and there are lots of clues throughout um, along the lines of, of what this reveal is going to be, and it shows that he actually feels regret, and, and he does look out for those who he's wronged, and... It, 
he sort of wants to do the right thing in his retirement now. So it's a nice setup for, for a possible sequel, I guess, um, if that is the case. The villain in this one is this guy called Blood. Um, he's played by Matt Lucas, who uh, I know from Little Britain, um, obviously a, a comedian, but he, he plays this over-the-top villain in this, this role. And some horrible dialogue didn't really need to be hammed up as much, um, this villain, I don't think. Um, and the, di- the dialogue that's bad is directly towards women. Um, so they do do a good job of making you not like him, but they probably could have done it in a different way anyway, and it still would have been just as effective. I guess Vivian is, is Blut's second in, in command, and, and she's this character that they set up has, has a relationship with Duncan, like working relationship. They've worked together. She looks out for him, but obviously she turns and and she works more closely with Blut because she wants to chase money and um, she's willing to turn turn against Duncan for this cash. The last one I mentioned earlier when I spoke about Duncan is this character Camille that he sort of connects with and, and she's this lonely librarian and I guess I don't want to say too much about her um, other than um, I knew that Vanessa Hudgens was in this film um, because I read the cast out at the end of the last episode and... I'm a bit disappointed in myself. I did not recognize her until the last few scenes. Um, just one of those crazy things where I don't know whether it was the, the character she was playing that she was so good at it or whether it was just me not paying close enough attention. Um, but yeah, it was. I did not pick up on Vanessa Hudgens actually in this film at all and she was in quite a few scenes. Uh, and that, that'll lead me into the director, um, Jonas Ackerland. Hadn't heard of him at all, um, but he has 143 directing credits best known for this film called Lord of Chaos in 2018, but a majority of these these credits are, are for music video clips, and he has worked with some of the top artists um, in the world. So he's done music video clips for Ozzy Osbourne, Madonna, U2, Fergie, um, you know, from the Black Eyed Peas, Queens of the Stone Age, Lady Gaga, Metallica, Taylor Swift, Beyonce, Coldplay, Britney Spears, David Guetta, the list goes on. Um, and after, well, we're putting that research into to working out who he was after watching the film. It makes a lot of sense with a lot of um, visuals that you see on the screen throughout this film. The the colours and the intros that they do for each character make a lot more sense, and as well as that they have this um, in the opening scene, they have a song, and randomly these these sing along words come up on the bottom of the screen, and and it all sort of makes sense now, and, and pays this idea of, of him being um, very well known in that that area of music video clips. Time to talk about some scenes that I enjoyed in this one. And I'll start off with the opening scene that the scenery was beautiful um, and the violence and the sexual references that you get in this opening scene sets the tone for what's going to come. So I think that set it up very, very well. Um, And obviously there's going to be some spoilers in this, but (laughs) there's this scene where at the start, Duncan buys a a dog really quickly um, and he quickly kills this dog. And I think this is just a a little funny John Wick reference, um, which which if you've seen John Wick, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, And then the restaurant, (laughs) I'm not a massively big fan of violence, but the, the scenes of, of some of the killings were actually, you know, visually quite good to look at. Um, Duncan's first big kills in this hotel and he, he staples a guy to a wall and puts a drill through his head. It just looks so realistic. Um, Duncan goes on to, to teach this, this class at school. Um, he teaches them about weapons and he asks this tiny little, you know, these tiny little kids, 
almost primary school age and he asks them if they've seen a dead body that's been in the sun for three weeks and then proceeds to show them a photo of this and it's just just quite ironic and quite funny um then Duncan, um, he picks up this, this one of these assassins is out to kill him, picks him up on the side of the road and takes him back to, to his house. And he has some of the most full-on sex I've seen on a screen in a while. And I think that it's quite shocking to see that. But then the lead-in uh, is him killing a whole bunch of people while being naked. Um, just, you need to see it to believe it. Uh, very, very well done. Um, then again, another battle scene is at the end, um, Duncan's taking on Vivian and, and this whole bunch of henchmen and he uses this like remote control gun or machine gun contraption, uh, which was just super cool to see it work. And then the last thing I'll say, and I'm not, I'm just trying not to give anything away, but there's these visions throughout of him having these flashbacks of some sort of traumatic event that he's gone through where he's involved in some sort of assassination. And I didn't connect the dots. I didn't work it out. I couldn't see what was happening. Don't want to spoil it, but at the end, I was very happy with um, with that uh, explanation of what those flashbacks actually meant. And I will now talk about some things that I didn't necessarily like um, in this one. And <laughs> Duncan, you know, he's getting ready for retirement and he sees his doctor and he he gets his prostate check and then just out of nowhere that, you know, it's done. And the doctor goes to the fridge and pulls out some cake to share with him. It was just completely random and, and weird. Um, the other thing, I guess, is uh, this gang that's going around trying to find Duncan and they're harassing all of his associates. And there's like a lawyer, there's like this dude in an almost porn studio. Um, there's over-the-top stabbings there's this meth lab there's this fat guy who they absolutely blast to hell like there's some like i guess that they're trying to just over emphasize the violence and the kills but it just got repetitive seeing the same sort of situation play out over and over again there was a scene with um camille and duncan in a diner just the dialogue and the conversation between the two was way too awkward for my liking another little technical thing that shaky cam is used quite a bit in this and i get using it every now and then to create confusion in the characters but it was used in scenes that didn't need it like conversations between characters like um so just a little bit confused and a little bit um over the top that i didn't really need uh blood towards the end he captures duncan and he tortures him over four days again this is the similar thing to the the assassins hunting down the the associates it was the same stuff it was boring and it was just repetitive and and again Duncan escapes. I've told you, told you it's going to be spoilers, but he escapes. And then there's this very overextended battle in this corridor where um, it was just repetitive. Um, so a lot of repetition in this that, that didn't need to happen. Um, and then, you know, Duncan escapes. He needs to to mend. And he, ma- he goes and sees this girl called Jasmine. She gets him back to good health. And then he takes her weapons to, to go get the bad guys. And then she makes this comment about, you know, hoping that he'd be there for her and not just for the guns. We'd never seen this chick before. Um... Maybe she's a character in the in the the original story that we don't know, and it's just a bit of a, a fanboy homage. But it was just very random. Um, and the last thing that really got me in this one is the credits at the end of the film roll from the top to the bottom um, instead of bottom to top, and that just did my head in. I, it looked weird and it felt weird. Um, yeah, I don't. Uh, uh, yeah, you need to see them. Just your brain is just so used to seeing the credits roll in a certain way that it just uh, felt so so weird. Themes and ideas from this one. So what is this film trying to say? And it plays a little bit with this idea of, of mental ghosts and, and living with your past and your past decisions and choices and actions and, and not letting it catch up with you. Um, and also that idea, I guess, of, of feeling regret and feeling remorse for the bad things that you've done and, and 
possibly trying to make amends for some of these things and and the other thing that this one looks at too is this idea of growing old and losing your value or or your your ability to contribute to to what you've been so good at for all your life and whether that's through deterioration of age or your physicality or your your mind or your mentality like it's it's a really i think that that's done really well in this film um and that's what runs through this film the whole time and then finally there is this idea of revenge getting getting back what you're owed um, or what what you deserve based on others actions so taking away from this one i think that if you like over the top killings and and blood and guts and gore and and that sort of stuff this one's going to be for you and i think um in this film it isn't all done in the same light throughout and i guess that's maybe a little bit of a criticism for me like it starts off almost like for comedic value but and it does touch base along the way with with comedic killings but there are parts where it gets a little bit serious and i'm just not sure that 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 tone needed to or isn't really switching in backwards and forwards in a, in a way that's engaging it needs to sort of stick the whole way through i guess that's what i'm saying but obviously i'm sitting here um not making films so i don't know if i'm necessarily the person that you should be listening to um imdb we have a part on our show where we, we we see if we had to look up anyone on imdb to check who they are just the opening scene um johnny knoxville i was like that looks like johnny knoxville it was johnny knoxville i'm happy with that um and that's all i'm gonna say on that one and um that that almost that brings us to to close this one out and, and give you my final thoughts on this um and giving the film a rating out of five to to give us a a flicks from score and like i mentioned before if if you like john wick um you're probably gonna like this but i think it probably will benefit you from not comparing the two um as i was watching the film I, I was getting frustrated and thinking of john wick but after going back over the film and and looking at some of the scenes and, and putting together my thoughts for this podcast i think i actually quite enjoyed it um the ending which I, i've briefly mentioned and i i hope i've stayed away from spoiling it completely i i didn't see it coming um and it made it stand out that tiny little bit more for me so I started off going, I'm going to give this a two. And then I was like, mm, two and a half would be a, an okay score. And then it got to the end and I'm like, nah, I've put all these ideas together and I'm going to give this a three. So three out of five um, for me on um, this film. And I'm hoping that you've enjoyed listening along. If you have, please do give us a um, a rating on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you can find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Give us a like, give us a share. Um, pop a, We pop a question up every week with our film to see and i just want to know do you think they're going to get a sequel up for this one after the the critics slammed it but the audience you know is sitting okay with this one should they they go out of their way to make a sequel um i think it would be good to see a sequel for this one i mean obviously they need the cash for it and we need to know the netflix numbers we never find out exactly how many people have watched something on netflix so um, i'm sure netflix hold hold the answers and i'm guessing seeing as we are five years after it's um uh, you know, the, oh, sorry, six years since the idea actually came about, and we're now three years since Netflix released it. You'd think there would have been a bit more, a um, bit more talk about it if they did plan on putting together another one. So, yes, that, that's, I want to hear what you think. So, um, next week we will be back for another film, and this one is uh, the 2019 satirical horror thriller Velvet Buzzsaw, which is directed by Dan Gilroy. It stars Jack Gyllenhaal, Renee Russo, Tony Collette, 
Zor Ashton, Tom Sturridge, Natalia Dyer, David Diggs, Billy Magnuson, and John Melkovich. I'm, I'm going to put it out there early. Jake Gyllenhaal um, is one of my favorite actors. If you go back a couple of years and listen to our intro podcast about our favorite films and actors, Jake Gyllenhaal is one of my all-time favorites. Dan Gilroy is also one of my favorite directors. Um, I have seen Velvet Buzzsaw. I am really looking forward to revisiting it to to get my thoughts back around this one. Um because, you know, this team, Jake Gyllenhaal, Rene Russo, they did work together with uh, Dan Gilroy on Nightcrawler as well, which is an excellent film. Um, if you haven't seen Nightcrawler and you want to watch something um, as well or, or do a, a double take with Velvet Buzzsaw, check out Nightcrawler. And I'm sure I'll probably mention this um, again next week when we do talk about this film. It's been a pleasure um, putting my thoughts together for this one. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have um, thinking about this one. And I look forward to um, you joining me again next week. Thank you. Thank you.